What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Halftime Snacks podcast. This show features short interviews that you can listen during the halftime of your favorite sports events. Every Tuesday, I host fun conversations with talented people in the sports industry, where we'll learn from their stories, knowledge, and experiences. So go grab your favorite snack and come snack with us. Are you ready? Let's go. Joining today's halftime snack is a Brazilian man who's leading one of the most exciting digital initiatives in the sports industry. Besides being a former professional rock climber and a Harvard alumni, his background is packed with experiences in coding, sales, marketing, project, and product management. He is the CEO and co-founder of Horizon, a company that uses technology to help sports companies track, value, and monetize their digital media. This is about to be a huge lesson in strategy, business development, risk management, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, Pedro Mestriner. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Welcome to the show, Pedro. How are you, man? All good. All good. Heat wave in Spain today. So we're having 35 degrees here, which is 37 almost. Almost, I don't know, 90-something Fahrenheit for those ones. It's really hot. Nice. Summer is coming. So turn up the, you know, the AC and everybody else can turn up the volume because this is a, this halftime snack is about to be massive. Man, I want to kick it off with an icebreaker and I want to ask you this very random question, but I want to know what is your second favorite animal? Oh, that's a good one. I think a cheetah, definitely. A cheetah is your second favorite animal. Second one, yeah. And what's the what's the number one? The number one is still the lion. Okay, okay. Is, is, there, is there any reason why cheetah is your second favorite? Yeah, uh, when I went to Africa, actually, that's a long story to make short, but I <laughs> did something. I finished university and went to Africa for three months to climb, and, you know, we're going to talk more about this. And I, I saw, you know, doing the safaris, but in a very more backpacker way, and I saw that animal running, and my background is athletics, is running and jumping. And I said, no, I'm in the wrong place. You know, these animals are just fantastic the way they move. And I literally got in love with the cheetah. And, you know, that was the reason I said, wow, that's, <laughs> you know, impressive. And the lion, since I was a kid, you know, typical, the, you know, is the animal who managed you, the whole savannah area. And, king you know, in the jungle, huh? King of the jungle. Yeah, that's why. And the <laughs> cheetah, was, I was really impressed with the, the way they move and the speed, the, you know, the whole anatomy of the of the way they do it. it's fantastic yeah, i got in love with that and since there i still have you know uh talk about cheetah all the time that's great man and i want to just jump straight right in you mentioned rock climbing uh it's a very key element of your background you've been yeah. doing, it, doing it for professionally for a while so i want to know exactly how did you got into it uh it's such a like unique uh, let's call it profession or devotion or vocation uh, so how did you exactly get into it and I also want to ask you, man, and this is because I watched, I don't know if you watched the, the documentary Free Solo from uh, oh, yes. about Alex yes. Honnold, who was like the yes. first guy to free solo El Capitan in Yosemite. Yes. And, uh, and man, I saw it and it was like crazy, like risk, you know, like in any yes. second you could basically just fall and die. And it's like crazy. So I want to know how it really shaped your perception of risk. How did you get into mm -hmm. rock climbing? And just tell us if you want the story and uh, yeah. that element of how you now perceive risk due to rock climbing. 
That's a great one. Well, uh, thank you for the question. Basically, I mean, being a Brazilian guy, it's kind of tough to say that I'm a rock climber or a mountaineer, you know, because people associate it to other sports, you know. But I think I was lucky enough, you know, even though I was born in Sao Paulo, I was lucky enough to, you know, my family have a country house outside of Sao Paulo that was kind of the exploration paradise. You know, we have the jungle around, we have the rivers, we have the lakes. So I spent my childhood basically, you know, doing kind of explorations as a kid. That was the little rumble of the family, you know, all the time doing these kind of things. And climbing, actually, when I was 12, around 12, uh, I saw a TV show documentary or something about people climbing El Capitan, precisely, that I said that changed my, you know, view of climbing. So I became a, you know, I want to be a climber. That was the thing. There was nothing else. You know, climbing is not about medals and Olympics, as you know, it's more about traveling, exploring, and, you know, there's a few other elements with the nature, you know? And I started building, actually, my own crampons. You know, and my dad was helping. I was always climbing hills, you know, not uh, mountain rocks, but in Brazil, I did my own PLA and climbing trees. I was kind of, you know, young, young thing. But then, of course, came the uh, teenager area, you know, being Brazil, that you know, have no rock climbing there, you know, basically in Sao Paulo area. I know if you're in Rio, for sure. And I moved to other sports. So my base life is always sports. I've been running athletics. I was uh, a long jump as well. And then I, because of the jumping, I was, uh, I was called to play volleyball as a setter for an interesting team called Palmeiras in, in, in Brazil. So I was a, a setter until I was 17. That was my, my sport background, basically, you know, collectible team. But, you know, for a 5'7 guy, there's no real future uh, being a setter in Brazil uh, for, you know, the size of I was, no. So basically, uh, I was that time, uh, you know, working as, as a trainee, you know, to Pfizer pharmaceutical company and a guy literally, you know, knew that was all into sports say, Hey, I know some people that are climbing and that ignited the passion that I had again, you know, back when I was young and completely changed my whole perspective of life. You know, I keep that dream to climb, El Capitan, which ended up realizing, I'm going to probably explain about the, the movie as well and what I have done in that route with ropes always. That's the difference. Uh, so that was, you know, basically family exposure to nature, you know, fishing with my dads around the Amazon area. So that's just a lot of things involving not climbing, but it's always being exposed. You know? So for the other question about risk, you know, sometimes people think climbing is about, uh, you know, it's extremely risky, you know. But I think that is not totally true. The main point of climbing is first training. You train in the case of free solo of the movie, you train your whole life to do one thing, risk or not. So basically you're spending years and years dedicating to that. So the risk assessment is done pretty wide. And climbing is about analysis as well and mental fitness is about grit. Uh, there's a few elements that, uh, of course, you still cannot control basically, you know, the avalanche or rock falls, but everything that you control, you really prepare. So every time we go to expedition to climb a place, you prepare a lot on this. So there's no improvisation at all on climbing. And if you, as you saw the movie, the guy spent, you know, Alex spent, I think, eight years or nine years just to do that climb, which is still, of course, in that case, there is a lot of risk on that. But, you know, uh, the guy did a huge, huge training for that. And that's pretty much the climbing is risk assessment is done in a very, very deep level. That's very interesting because you 
since you started Horizon and it's a, a technology company, I guess that uh, up to a certain uh, point as a founder, you can assess the risk of a company, but like you know, you can know more or less how how what's the probability that it might fail, what is the probability that it might be successful, but only to a certain degree. You know, there's also a little bit of improvisation and pivoting along oh, yeah. the way. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but I want to ask you if there's any one or two similarities that you found in in building technology companies and climbing huge huge rocks. Is there anything that you can say? about what I liked a lot was about like, for instance, the mental fitness element. So yeah. maybe that that's one. Yeah. I wonder if there's one or two others that you can think about that are very similar between both practices, even though they're really different. No, a hundred, a hundred percent related. I think the first one is that climbing and business mistakes are not allowed in a certain way. So big mistakes, you are not allowed in case of climbing, either you kill your partner, you kill yourself, or you kill the whole team. So that's the thing. So big mistakes are not allowed. So that's lesson number one. No? I think that number two is that climbing is not about money. You don't see a climbing talking about, you know, making money. This is different from other sports. Climbing is about passion, a mission or legacy or the dreams you want to make true. That is period. And this is pretty much about setting up a company. If you think, and you know, the typical, I'm going to set up a company to be rich, you start failing. It's a big problem, this, no? I think that's the main thing that probably is not, uh, as, as we said, also about the grit. You know, climbing is a sport that you have to fail a lot to keep growing and to keep climbing. There's no way you climb something, you say, I'm not falling. The only way to grow into climbing, especially sport climbing, is that you fall and you learn what you mistake and you do again and you do again until you execute. You know? So pretty much what you do as an entrepreneur, basically, you know, as a company. The only thing is that with the time and the experience and the years following, you know, literally, you avoid a lot of mistakes that you know that you have already done. And that's the similarity being, you know, when you are an entrepreneur, when you are 20 or when you are 45, you have an experience that you have done a few things, you have done a lot of mistakes. And the, the rule is try to make new mistakes, not the other ones that you already know. No? Wow, that's that's a fascinating way of looking at it, Petro. I'm actually thinking about one one extra thing, and I want to share it with you because I think it's very very interesting. And rock climbing, as you mentioned, has a certain degree of anti fragility or margin for error that is very very small. That you can't really do errors while you're climbing rocks, but ca you can do errors while you're at the Boulder Gym. You know, trying oh, yeah. you know in, in the gym, you can fall there. So. That could be considered, you know, as a place where you can, when you can fail. So taking that into, into, into business, I would say that in a startup, especially in tech, tech companies, try to find your boulder gym, you know, the place where you can fail, where it's not going to really affect you or your business. And then go out and and in in the business and 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 execute perfectly because there's no room for for error right. over there. So I I guess that the analogy of just you know find your boulder gym yep. in 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 business, that's a that's a nice way. No, no, to put ab it. Absolutely, I like this. Actually, the boulder gym is probably the A/B tests we are doing. Right. And then and then you go to market. Actually, when you go climb, you know basically. That you say no, I cannot make mistakes, or at least big mistakes you cannot make. You, know, you cannot forget your water when you go <laughs> climb. That's a huge, 
thing. So I think that's a great analogy. I really like that, the boulder and when you train. And it's precisely this. In our case, it's probably the A-B test we're constantly doing until we have kind of a base to say, okay, this is, let's go for it. Yeah, yeah. Big one, man. I, I, I loved it. Thank you for, you know, sharing that. Um, man, your background is very interesting. Uh, looking at it, you've been in Harvard, you've been in Pfizer, you worked with Barcelona, the team. Um, so I want to know if there are any lessons from those highlights of your background that make you uh, perfect. There's this concept that Naval calls uh, founder product market fit. Um, so what makes you per the perfect founder product market fit for you in Horizon, thanks to the highlights of your background? Oh, that's a good one. Let's try to make, I'll try to make it simple. I think first one is, Uh, for the companies I was working with, first is uh, always thinking global and big. There's no room here to think small. That's ambitions. Of course, knowing where you're stepping in, but you need to go big and go international. In our case, in our world today, is go international. Horizon is a company that is international from day one. Actually, in Spain, we have two clients. 95% of the clients are out. I mean, that was the initial thing. You need to go out, you know, the I think the second one is company culture, uh, company culture, definitely, you know, uh, that is important. I work for Hitachi, a Japanese company that I would say that definitely was, if not the best experience I had in my life, I had a, a very tough boss, the president of the consumer division, Sekiyama-san, uh, which is still was my mentor, I would say he was the president of the division. He hired me with, when he knew that I have no experience in the industry. But I have the excuse, actually, I went to the interview showing him a Japanese magazine called Gatujin that I was featured as a climber. And they were saying that, you know, this guy is very, whatever, uh, gritty, and he was doing this, you know, captain, this kind of stuff. And then they hired me. I thought, well, probably because of the, you know, the magazine or something, you know. Anyway, I have no experience at all on consumer, especially in electronics, you know. And, you know, he was really tough with me for the first two years. Literally, you know, the Japanese culture in the company was like, It's not about the pressure, it's about the standard. You need to deliver always at 100% minimum. So 99% is not an option. There's no, no option for that, you know? And the way they execute things and also the, the data, it's always oriented with data. You always start meeting with the Japanese with a billboard and some numbers and driving the past to it to see what is the future, you know? So, you know, a few years back, just to conclude that, when he, you know, finished and go back to Japan as a president, he said, hey, I was happy that, you know, I pressured you and you didn't quit. You know, I like that. And that's so the magazine was telling the truth. So he joked, and we're still good colleagues. He's retired in Japan now. And I'll definitely say that was one of the things is about company culture, understanding why they have this. And I think the third one, the last one is definitely scalability and delivery. Now, I know my experience previous on let go. Let go is one of the first Spanish unicorns, you know, uh, marketplace. Purely is like uh, the first uh, C2C marketplace in US, huge one, it was a Spanish uh, company started with uh, one of my best friends, Jordi here. They did something that I have didn't leave it directly. You now working in startups, I did as well, but then in corporates, the way to take a company from zero to a hundred in like 24 months, what I did is, I was really impressed when I went to that environment and the speed, which is basically, nothing cared about delivery. It's execution, execution, execution. There was nothing else about delivering. So for them, the mentality, and we apply a little bit here in Horizon as tomorrow is not a viable option, basically. You know, it's always delivery. So I think that was the missing part for me before we decided to say, okay, jumping into our own process. You no, know, it's having this 
the scalability and the delivery mentality that sometimes incorporates they have good things but as you know sometimes there is low and you know there's other politics involving startups you need to execute every single hour there's no room for for tomorrow basically well that's uh super fascinating i wonder what's the What's the how it started with this Horizon solution? What was the original idea, and in what ways uh, has it pivoted? Has it shifted along the way? It has a, li a little bit less than two years right now. So, right, yeah. if you just can walk us through the the roadmap of how the product came into fruition, and then how it changed it, um, and until what it is today. No, yeah, actually, actually, Horizon started of one of my failures in professional life. When I worked as a consultant not to FC Barcelona, uh, it was a disaster, actually. I was hired to you know, try to help them to build the digital assets team to sell digital only. And it was a huge disaster. We couldn't, the organization was not ready, which is fine. This was a few years back in time. But then the market, still not, not ready yet, but the main point was the pricing, you know, how you measure, how you really have a pricing to your digital assets. You know? so, With that in mind, you know, I was like running around and thinking, I said, you know, that's, you know, something we need to do this. And then back into sports, uh, we were called by the Volleyball Federation, actually, a, few, a couple of years ago, actually, a, few, a little bit more, to consult them to advise on the asset valuation on digital. And we said, no, again, the problem for FC Barcelona, nothing changing in the industry. So with Jose David, the co-founder, who's a good friend, specialized on product and gaming, this guy who did a lot of good stuff on, on the industry. We decide, you know what, now is the timing. You know? So then uh, we decide, we, we, you know, we put a plan actually on, on the paper with kind of a funny story. We drove from Barcelona to Lausanne to deliver the project. Uh, I was sick at that time, you know, I have a year infection or something. I could not take a plane. So he came here and said, no, let's drive. You know, it's an eight hour drive from Barcelona to, to Lausanne, eight, nine hours. So that trip was supposed to let, you know, eight hours. It, we took three days to arrive in Lausanne because we, we drove in my old California van that I still have as a climber. And we stopped at every two hours to paint and draw and said, that is happening. And when we arrive in Lausanne, we have Horizon roadmap for three years in the paper. When we came back, we decided to execute that. That's less than two years, as you said. And we hired the first part-time coder with the resource we have. And then we decided the approach to this would be we need to have a good client or at least a good right holder that we can plug in and basically understand, of course, what they do. Because that's the way to build, in our case, a product that, that serves for the market, basically, not because we thought it would be good. And we knocked a few doors. We ended up talking to Real Madrid, uh, which is a good client to, to have. And those guys saw the vision. They saw the product. And they said, we want it. And again, luck and preparation came together. Uh, they decided to you know, embed, let's say, the solution in the organization, not only as a software, but how to change the way they're selling, the way they're approaching their partners. And so, so far, I would say that we haven't pivoted anything. Of course, we have deprioritized a few things that we thought would be cool features for the product. In the end, they are bought on the list. And other things, because of the the group of properties we have, the clients, they are asking more. So we have like TikTok, for example, you know, that's something that a year ago, a year and a half ago was like, yeah, maybe could be something cool. Now is a must have for any sport property. You know? So those kind of priorities change, but the roadmap haven't changed. We still have the three-year plan 
and we are executing purely executing that uh, within this. Of course, COVID came in, shaked a few things, and unfortunately, you know, considering it's a disgraceful things happening, but in terms of business for us, it really accelerated everything. COVID did a, a job, let's say, you know, uh, of understanding the rights holders, mainly the sport entertainment is that they need to go digital, yes or yes. There's not building a website or an app anymore. You need to look this carefully because that is where your future revenues are coming in. Very interesting. But I wonder if if you're all, all the time you're executing, how are you exactly building organizational culture? If it's not always execute, like how how exactly do you take the time or you what like what strategies have you been using or like what's what are your thoughts about building up the culture of horizon in if you're always like execute yeah. execute execute yeah. like what's the what's the plan no i think the the thing is the reason horizon is having this huge growth you know, in the last 12 months is basically because of the team the product itself is very good i have to say of course uh, but the team is the key element for this and the reason of the team is the culture we're trying to put here it's very simple there's no there's no need to go to any super business school or buy 20 books. It's very simple. It's about ownership. Ownership, basically, it doesn't matter if the key account manager is the owner of the delivering. It's his shop, his call. If he made a mistake, just fix it, move on, shake and go. So it's ownership. That's about ownership comes with trust. So it's a base of every single, single thing we're doing in life, which is a very much associated to the climbing thing, you know? Uh, in the end, when you climb with someone, that's kind of umbilical cord you have. If you're thinking that if you fall, your partner will not catch you, you cannot climb at your 100%. So that's the trust. If you trust your partner or someone who is, you know, in, in the case of climbing, uh, taking care of you, uh, things will go better. You can execute at 100%. You know? And I think the third point is basically about the team. We don't. We are not a family here. We are a team. And with that, basically, people are accountable for what they are doing, which is related to the ownership, you know, and we treat them as adults for this. With this, it's about delivery. So they figure out the best thing. Basically, our job here is to put them together to make sure this culture exists of ownership, trust, and team uh, uh, execution, basically, and treat people as adults. You no, know? I think that's the best thing. You know, if we have kind of a mentality that everyone who is jumping on board is like, if we you know, we have an option to deliver a very good product or we have an option to deliver a bad product or we have an option to deliver okay products. For us, the okay is already a bad product. So there's no option on this, you know? And, and that is the base from the technical side, for the business side, for administrative side, for the financial people, for everyone. And, and this is embedding because in the end it's about the climbing, going back to the climbing again, is you need to try to deliver at least 100%. No, we sometimes it's not about motivation. We have good days or bad days, like any startup company. But if you have the discipline, it overcome uh, all the motivation issues. You know, it's like when you go training. You know, as an athlete, some days, um, a lot of days, you wake up, you say, "What I'm doing this?" You know, it's like six in the morning, it's raining or cold. I don't want to go out. I don't want to travel. But then comes the discipline, and that's pretty much the base of everything. You know, because in our case, if we really want to be the best guys here, uh, we need to do things that other people are not willing to do. And there's no, it's, it's life thing, basically. You know, we're not inventing the wheel here or using a nice quotes around, but 
that's the way to do anything you want in life. You know? And what is your what is your vision for Horizon? In, let's say down the horizon, let's say yeah. 10 years. Yeah, well, that's a good one. I mean, for a techie company, when you look like well, no, 10 years, it's always a tough question. No, but in terms of vision, uh, of course, not only the product development thing, but also the industry is changing so fast uh, that even for us, you know, with all this execution mind, it's even changing faster than we expected, which is a great sign. So in terms of vision for us, of course, expansion of the company is always uh, a thing and, and we have new products along the roadmap delivering. But the mentality here is also to, to build a solid business. That is very important. We are uh, like sports, of course, you know, trying to be very precise on the way we deliver and deploy every single dollar we have. Hmm. So that mentality, I know that sometimes on the sport, and sorry, on the tech side, and especially entrepreneurship, you know, there's a lot of money available. So we like, you know, have a check of $10 million and you start go crazy, you lose focus. So we don't raise more money than we don't need because that's dangerous in some aspects, especially in our stage, which is a year old company operational size. You can lose the focus and you start to play around with other things that is not focused. No? Our focus are, it's basically very simple, deliver the best product for the clients we have. That is the thing. So with that mentality, uh, we need to keep focus on this. You know? So yes, solid business, solid team, and keep adding layers, of course, now in terms of growth. You know? But long, long term, if you think, what do you want to do with this company? Well, we're going to adapt for what the market needs, definitely. And we're going to adapt for the company needs as well. And I think that's important, not only, but the dream is, you know, as a climber and as a dreamer is basically try to take that dream of five years. And you know, if you can do a company with some people say, oh, I want to take this IPO or whatever. We're not looking into that too much, to be honest. You know, we have that back in the mind, you know, as a company, but because the focus is, you know, again, execution and delivery, uh, we try to take all this stuff out of the mind and, okay, step by step. We haven't done literally anything. It's great, good growth, good roost of clients, but we need to keep moving step by step. I know very solid things, and and that's pretty much the approach. Man, it's so interesting to see how you decode things coming from a climbing and 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 rock climbing background. Man, it you literally think about like what's the next step and what's the like one step by step. So it it's fascinating to hear uh, you. Describe that in business, Pedro. Thank you so much for sharing. Man, it has been such a pleasure hosting you on the show. Time has gone so fast and I wanna, I can't go be, without asking you a last and personal question. Yep. And man, I was thinking, okay, so this guy has a different perception of risk. He, he's, he's been in, in a couple of situations where he, he can, he's defying certain laws of physics and reality. So I wonder, what is this guy's biggest fear? So what would you say is your biggest fear, Pedro? For me, it's to stop. It's ever thinking on stopping and not keep evolving all the time. You know, life in the end is about learning process. It doesn't matter now if it's climbing, if it's business or whatever. And my biggest fear is that, you know, not losing, let's say, this appetite for keep exploring since I was doing since I was a kid, you know. And the rest of the things uh, are completely 
overcome because in the end it's about life as well. No, they, there is a lot of obstacles all, all the time that you need to either surround or climb on top of it to go to the other side. But I mean, the beauty of this is that you know uh, we haven't seen I think everything. You no, know? there's always things that you can learn about the world or yourself or a company or the market. So you know uh, our time is very limited here. So the best thing is. Let's not waste it and keep learning, keep not stopping everything that you're doing, whatever, if it's climbing, if it's entrepreneurship, if it's fundraising, if you're deploying capital, whatever, no? is put the passion on this. No? I think, uh, and as soon as we continue to do this, that is, so the fear is not stopping. And I hope that continue this until the last day I have. Ah, man, that's an amazing, an amazing conclusion and an amazing way of closing out this episode. Pedro, I want to thank you so much for your time, your insights and your kindness, man. It has been an awesome halftime snack. I've enjoyed every piece of it. And wow, I'm, I'm so impressed of uh, everything that you just told us, man. I can't wait to host you again in the show in the future, man. But for now, thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy learning about the business and technology behind sports, make sure you subscribe to the Sports Tech Biz newsletter. I'll leave the link in the show notes. See you all next week. Bye-bye.